From the silver screen to the printed page to the woods behind your house, incredible creatures are everywhere. For as long as I can remember, monsters have populated the landscape of my imagination. As a kid, I wanted to learn as much as I could about these legendary figures, and it turns out, I still do. I'm Mark Matsky, and this is Monster Study Group. Hello there, and welcome back. I hope you were able to take advantage of last week's extra credit session, a refresher course in Godzilla films. It was fun to go back and review, and since the episode posted, it was announced that the third special guest at G-Fest this year will be Don Fry, the star of Godzilla Final Wars. He joins TJ Storm and Linda Miller in what's shaping up to be a fun convention, and I hope to see you there. We're going to switch gears this week and apply ourselves once again to the study of hidden animals. We'll come at the subject in a couple different ways. First, I'd like to take you through an examination of out-of-place animals in my home state of Ohio in an essay that I wrote for the Into the Fray radio website. I'll combine that with part of a chapter from an abandoned project having to do with Bigfoot in the Buckeye State. Then I'd like to share a list that I compiled for Jeremiah Byron of the Bigfoot Society podcast of 21 books that I'd highly recommend for anyone interested in cryptozoology and other unexplained topics. I'm always happy to make book recommendations, and this list, while by no means exhaustive, contains some classic reads that I've returned to time and again. So let's dive right into it. And first, come face-to-face with Ohio's out-of-place animals. What does it mean? when a geographical region seems to harbor an inordinate number of outlandish creatures. Does it mean that in that location there is sufficient food, water, and shelter to support a population of unrecognized beasties? Does it suggest that the human residents of such areas are more perceptive than others? Or that they habitually go to places where they're more likely to have an encounter with something strange? What is the nature of place names such as Devil's Pass and Devil's Lake, which play host to all kinds of inexplicable events? Could it be that weirdness randomly bunches up in the world, giving the impression that a locale is a hot spot? Or is there a more sublime explanation if that continues to elude us? Ohio has billed itself as the heart of it all, a curiously appropriate description for a state that has become a center for cryptid sightings and related fieldwork. From the Erie Lakeshore to the Ohio River, from the flatlands to the Appalachian foothills, 
become alarming tales told by people who would be considered reputable witnesses in a court of law. They often have nothing much to gain and far more to lose in divulging the details of their experience, yet they are compelled to tell someone about the African lion they observed in their suburban backyard or the nameless red-eyed thing that appeared at their bedroom window. There is a cathartic quality to this type of self-revelation. It seems impolite and even unkind to question their account, and it does not stretch credulity to suggest that these eyewitnesses truly believe that they saw something anomalous. But the nagging, impolitic question that hovers in the background continues to be, is it true? It is uncomfortable to realize that both possible answers, yes and no, hold disturbing implications. What is going on here in the heartland? Consider for yourself the following gallery of grotesqueries. If these testimonies are not true, then Buckeyes seem to be predisposed to misidentification, mischief, or worse, malicious falsehood. However, if even a few of these tales are true, then we must be willing to ask what oddities are hiding in Ohio? For reasons that are inscrutable, Ohio saw an eruption of out-of-place animal sightings in the 1940s. Some of the reports are chilling, Others are amusing. All of them are enigmatic. The tale of the Peninsula Python stands as an archetypal example of a creature flap from that time period. Over the course of about a month, residents in the Kelly Hill area of Peninsula were shocked to discover an aggressive and somewhat acrobatic python in their midst. In true mystery animal fashion, it left behind multiple tracks. The hunt for the snake began in earnest when its car tire-wide trail was discovered in more than one farmer's field, and soon the creature graduated to attacking a henhouse and devouring a chicken. This escalation of behavior, combined with the involvement of the Cleveland and Columbus zoos, who offered a reward for the python's capture, touched off a 40s-style media circus. Amateur and professional trackers were brought in, but true to form, their efforts went unrewarded. Meanwhile, the 18-foot snake took to the trees, and on June 27, 1944, the serpent leaped out of a dead willow, terrifying a female farmhand as well as her cows and dogs. Within a few days, the Peninsula Python had fallen out of another tree, frightening another unfortunate woman before leaving a visible track down to the bank of the Cuyahoga River. 
despite numerous well-organized searches, the snake was never seen again. A giant snake, though decidedly alarming, is not an entirely implausible denizen of the Ohio ecosystem. A kangaroo, on the other hand, would seem completely out of place. Yet that is precisely what an eyewitness said was bounding around the Columbus exurb of Grove City in 1949. A bus driver had a nighttime sighting of what he described as a marsupial jumping a fence. Although the witness was certain that what he saw was not a deer, one wonders if this was not a case of misidentification given the behavior and the description of an animal that resembled a kangaroo but appeared to jump on all fours, not to mention the ubiquitous nature of the Cervidae family in this state. In the late 1960s, a state highway patrolman would have a nighttime sighting of his own going on record as saying that he saw a kangaroo cross the road in front of his cruiser. The 1940s also saw a flurry of phantom feline reports. One of the most dramatic was recorded in Elkhorn Falls in August of 1948. No less than six eyewitnesses claimed that a lion, complete with mane and long tail, had charged towards their parked car before crashing through a fence and disappearing. A deputy sheriff was called to the scene, and after examining the baffling tracks left behind by the mystery cat, warned local fishermen to be on the lookout for something large and anomalous. Black panther sightings also go back to 1947, when one such creature was identified near Kirkwood. Since then, a number of well-documented and responsibly researched cases have made the reality of giant felines an unavoidable, open question. In most of these situations, local police officers became active participants in the search for the phantom felines adding a layer of authenticity to the proceedings. In May of 1979, the sheriff of Delaware County was involved in an active investigation into sightings of a cougar in Delaware, Sunbury, and Westerville. A rash of tiger sightings had Montgomery, Warren, and Clinton County law enforcement scrambling in 1994, with some officers even making plaster casts of four-inch paw prints. Then, in 2004, the deputy police chief of Gahanna, a very suburban portion of Columbus, stunned the media by admitting that he was looking for a three to four hundred pound African lion in his community, based on calls that had been received. It comes as no surprise that in every case the cats in question eluded capture leaving behind little more than tales that likely improve with the telling. What is the open-minded inquirer to do with these accounts? 
there's little doubt that Ohio has the space and resources necessary to play host to all manner of animal life. It is no longer unusual for coyotes to skirt the edges of civilization, and bobcats are making a comeback in the state's southern regions. With that said, one wonders, could some of these sightings be attributed to exotic pets that have escaped their confines? This possibility, which is often dismissed by some researchers as too prosaic, was uncomfortably reintroduced in October 2011 with the tragic Terry Thompson incident that took place near Zanesville. Thompson evidently released a zoo's worth of wild animals, all part of his private collection, from their pens before taking his own life, necessitating a heartbreaking mass execution of the freed creatures. For a brief time before the massacre, however, some Zanesville residents had the surreal experience of seeing an actual lion creeping through a ditch outside their home. Police found themselves in the unenviable position of hunting these animals at night using infrared technology. The State Highway Patrol cordoned off seven square miles near Interstate 70, and road signs that normally caution drivers about upcoming construction were instead employed to warn of wild animals on the loose. An unbelievable and sickening flap was taking place in real time for the residents of Muskingum County, and thanks to modern media, the world was watching. When the last shot had been fired, 49 animals had been slaughtered, including 18 Bengal tigers, 17 lions, six black bears, three mountain lions, two grizzlies, and a baboon. Early reports alleged that a macaque monkey, which was infected with the dangerous virus, had escaped the carnage and fled into the surrounding forest. Suddenly, the suggestion that a privately owned exotic pet could cause concern and indeed hysteria in an Ohio community did not seem so silly. It had become a senseless, sad reality. Fugitive creatures from private menageries cannot, of course, account for all of the out-of-place animals sighted in Ohio they may not even account for many of them. If there's any insight to be gained from the Thompson incident, perhaps this is it. The wild beasts of the earth, those identified and those yet unknown to us, tend to flee from the presence of human beings. Can they be blamed for reacting this way? If print media made Bigfoot a household name, then television brought him into American family rooms. The influence of programs like In Search Of is hard to estimate. Televised showings of movies like The Legend of Boggy Creek, Sasquatch The Legend of Bigfoot, 
the creature from Black Lake and others made kids leery of peeking out of their bedroom windows at night throughout the 70s and 80s. Many of those same children would grow up to be major players in the modern hunt for Sasquatch. This was not the only TV Bigfoot flap, however. During the 90s, as tabloid-slash-reality television found its footing, shows like Unsolved Mysteries, Sightings, and Ancient Mysteries featured the occasional Bigfoot episode, and they served as a prelude to a major movement in hairy hominid television that would continue into the present day. Suddenly, the unassuming flyover state of Ohio found itself in the spotlight. The Buckeye State's newfound notoriety truly began with the Monster Quest episode Ohio Grassman, released on January 18, 2008, the fifth show of the second season. Monster Quest was somewhat of a surprise for fans of cryptozoology and unexplained phenomena. It tended to take the subject matter relatively seriously and often enlisted the on-screen help of well-known researchers, upping the credibility quotient considerably. Like many television programs, the episodes followed a discernible pattern. Eyewitness accounts of the particular creature were cited. A quality CGI representation of said creature is presented. Commentators make their comments. Actual footage of the mystery monster is viewed some type of experiment is undertaken, and the almost always inconclusive results are shared as the credits rolled. Lovers of monster mysteries knew it was formulaic, and it did not matter. It was enough that the accounts of regional creatures were being discussed in an even-handed and entertaining way. Ohio Grassman begins with a shot of Hozak's cave in Salt Fork State Park, which is appropriate since much of the episode's action takes place there, and shots of the park dominate the broadcast. Before Monster Quest, Salt Fork was well known regionally as a Bigfoot hotspot, but this program gave the park unprecedented national exposure. The go to guys in Grassman are Don Keating, Jody Cook, Dr. Esteban Sarmiento, and Christopher Murphy. Jimmy Chilcutt, the primate fingerprint expert and dermal ridge proponent, also makes an appearance examining a gorilla-like handprint obtained in Bentonville, Ohio. Following its standard outline, Ohio Grassman intersperses speculation with examination of evidence, reenactments of sightings, and eyewitness testimony. The terrain of Southeast Ohio is on full display with Salt Fork State Park as the focal point. The eyewitnesses who share their stories are exactly the type of salt-of-the-earth people you find in the region. Best of all, the computer-generated grassmen are very well done and give a convincing impression of what it might be like to see one walking away from your picture window at night. 
Along with the handprint, the centerpiece of the episode is the in-depth look at Don Keating's White Bigfoot video. The footage is shown a number of times at different speeds. The story of how the video was discovered is also reviewed. Keating evidently did not know he had captured anything on tape the day that it happened, and only saw the anomaly a year or so later when he was reviewing the footage for another purpose. The brief glimpse of a light-colored upright walking figure is tantalizing, and luminaries in the Bigfoot world have been to the site, taken detailed measurements, and theorized that whatever is seen on the video is very large. To Keating's credit, he does not claim that he made an inadvertent Bigfoot video. At the same time, it is worth noting that when Keating's book, The Sasquatch Triangle, was in print, it included an offer to purchase a copy of the video for home use. Monster Quest put the content out there for everyone to see, exponentially expanding its visibility. At the very least, Ohio Grassman enhanced the state's reputation as the epicenter of east of the Mississippi Bigfoot activity. The episode was not without its weaknesses, though. From the introduction onward, viewers are given the impression that everyone in Ohio refers to Bigfoot as the Grassman, which is simply not accurate. Within the flow of the narration, the moniker Grassman is used again and again, which becomes a bit grating after a while. While undoubtedly a snappy regional nickname, the term Grassman is usually used these days in reference to the Kenmore Dome Nest case that figures prominently in the first half of the show. Some of the experiments also seem more than a little arbitrary. The idea of the camera-equipped helicopters was intriguing, but they did not seem to be able to be airborne for long, limiting their effectiveness. Asking Jody Cook to try to build his own dome nest also was kind of a weird touch as well. After all, what was it supposed to prove? The only thing it could test is Mr. Cook's structure-making abilities within a constrained period of time. Add to that a few factual errors. The narration claims that the Kenmore nests were found in the Sasquatch Triangle when they were actually a good two hours north. Keating's White Bigfoot video is said to have been filmed in Kershockton County, an inventive phonetic mangling of Kershockton, and you have a few missteps in an otherwise earnest and informative program. Do these things hurt the overall presentation? Probably not. The impression one gets watching Grassman is that there is plenty of habitat in which a large cryptid could roam. There are dedicated researchers in the field using techniques such as tree knocking and vocal calls predating the same methods that would be popularized thanks to TV a few years later. And there are honest, authentic eyewitnesses to be found, all in Ohio.
At this point, I'd like to take a moment to invite you to a very special event taking place June 3rd in downtown Canton, Ohio. It's the first ever Monster Fest brought to you by Small Town Monsters at the Double Tree by Hilton beginning at 10 a.m. Special guests include Lauren Coleman, Stan Gordon, Cliff Berrickman, and Richard Haddam, who wrote the screenplay of the Mothman Prophecies feature film. In addition, we'll be presenting live speakers, podcasts, a vendor hall, film screenings, and a cryptid-themed menu and bar selection. Make your plans to attend today and become a VIP to enter the venue one hour early at 9 a.m. and reserve your exclusive t-shirt. VIP access also covers your attendance to the Canton, Ohio premiere of On the Trail of Bigfoot, Land of the Missing at the Canton Palace Theater on Friday, June 2nd. Visit stmmonsterfest.com for more details. As far as I'm concerned, there are few things as engaging as a good book about an engrossing subject. What follows is a list of 21 books that, in my opinion, entertain and educate in equal parts. If you deal with these texts in a thoughtful way, you'll be well-versed in any crowd of cryptozoological enthusiasts. So get your pencils ready. Here's the list. Before I get into the list, I should just make the comment that this is not arranged in any rank order. It's just a random assortment of 21 books. Therefore, number one, Menagerie of Mysterious Beasts by Ken Gerhardt. This is a modern take on the classic survey-style crypto book with a wide variety of up-to-date cryptids represented. Number two, Cryptozoology Anthology, edited by Robert Dace, David Coleman, and Wyatt Doyle. Collecting 13 stories from 20th century men's adventure magazines, such as True Weird, Argosy, and Man's World, this serves as an illuminating and entertaining time capsule. The hardcover edition includes an extra story and bonus artwork. Number three. The Bigfoot Casebook by Colin and Janet Board. The casebook was a standard library checkout for me throughout the late 1980s. It compiles sightings by decade and region and was probably my introduction to the Minerva Monster. The updated version, published by Pine Winds Press, includes a foreword by Lauren Coleman. Number four. The Locals by Tom Powell. Locals is one of my absolute favorite books about the Bigfoot enigma. Most of the cases included were personally investigated by the author. 
Powell is not afraid to apply fresh thinking to the phenomena, and he is a gifted writer. Number five, Silent Invasion by Stan Gordon. Gordon's second book provides a comprehensive look at the staggering Bigfoot UFO flap which occurred in southwest Pennsylvania beginning in the summer of 1973. Covered in the kind of detail that could only be supplied by someone who actively investigated these cases, Silent Invasion is a document of overwhelming weirdness. This book was the inspiration for 2017's Invasion on Chestnut Ridge, a documentary film by Small Town Monsters. Number six, The Beast of Bray Road by Linda Godfrey. Beast is a marvelous case study in how local stories became something far more powerful thanks to the media as it existed at the end of the 20th century, in the last moments before the internet became ubiquitous. Godfrey demonstrates how dealing with topics such as the dogman can be approached with respectful open-mindedness and a healthy sense of humor. Godfrey's work is, of course, foundational to STM's Bray Road Beast of 2018. Number seven, The Mothman Prophecies by John A. Keel. In this tremendously influential work, Keel began the process of making Point Pleasant a household name. Readers may be surprised to discover that Prophecies is not exclusively about the Mothman flap of 1967, but is wider in scope and serves as a kind of warning to those who are considering investigating the unknown themselves. Keel's relationship to the Mothman phenomenon is touched on in STM's Mothman of Point Pleasant and is explored in greater detail in 2020's Mothman Legacy. Number eight, Mysterious America by Lauren Coleman. More than any other book on this list, Mysterious America influenced the way I think about the breadth and depth of unexplained subjects. Coleman is a deft and winsome writer who's not only collecting stories, but is looking for patterns and finds many. If you haven't read this book, please stop reading this list or listening to this podcast, order a copy, and get started with Coleman's signature work. Number 10, Bigfoot All Over the Country by Marion T. Place. Place introduced me to Bigfoot in her first book on the topic, On the Track of Bigfoot, but this, her quick follow-up to track, exploded the myth that the creature was confined to the Pacific Northwest. Written for the Scholastic Books crowd, Country still holds up as it is written in clear but never condescending fashion. Number 10. Bigfoot by B. Ann Slate and Alan Berry. This is Bigfoot writing at its most engaging. These days, Ron Moorhead is the main Sierra Sounds representative, but Alan Berry was there too and obtained his own audio recordings at the camp. If the Sierra Sounds experience was a hoax, 
Barry was determined to prove it. When he could not, he could only present his findings, which he does in this book, along with a host of other strange cases presented by Slate. Number 11, Smokey and the Falk Monster by Smokey Crabtree. Crabtree's is an amazing American life punctuated by his connection with the infamous Falk Monster. In down-home fashion, Crabtree offers candid tales about the making of The Legend of Boggy Creek that you will not hear anywhere else. Number 12, Monster Trek. The Obsessive Search for Bigfoot by Joe Gisandi. Trek is one of the best of a recent wave of books more interested in the people who look for Bigfoot than Bigfoot itself. Gisandi is never unkind in his assessments of an often eclectic cast of individuals and is very honest in revealing his own doubts and conclusions about the subject. Number 13, Lizard Man by Lyle Blackburn. Following in the tradition of Linda Godfrey's The Beast of Bray Road, a compliment to both authors, Blackburn drills down into one location and main case to see what happens when modern media gets a hold of a sensational story. This is boots on the ground investigative crypto journalism at its best. Number 14, The Untold Story of Champ by Robert E. Bartholomew. This might be the most underrated book on the list. Beautifully crafted and meticulously researched, this work by Bartholomew addresses how and why a lake monster became a fixture of the American Northeast. Number 15, Bigfoot Encounters in New York and New England by Robert and Paul Bartholomew. The Bartholomew brothers lay out the cases in careful and sober fashion and let the reader draw their own conclusions. No surprise, they do a superb job laying the historical foundations in addition to the Bigfoot material itself. Number 16, Searching for Sasquatch. Crackpots, Eggheads, and Cryptozoology by Brian Regal. Searching is the token skeptical book on this list, written from the standpoint of someone who is not interested in proving or disproving Bigfoot's existence, but who wants to know why a credentialed scientist would pursue such a line of inquiry, knowing that to do so would probably mean career suicide. No surprise, the case study is Grover Krantz. Bigfoot believers may not be too comfortable with it, but the writing is excellent and well-considered. Number 17, Hunt for the Skinwalker by Colm Kelleher and George Knapp. This is the straight story of the exceedingly strange ranch in Utah's Uinta Basin told by those who were directly involved. Kelleher's stable scientific perspective and Knapp's way with words and reputation as a hard news journalist 
combine to produce a modern classic, which at times is truly chilling. Number 18, they knew too much about flying saucers by Gray Barker. Whatever opinion one has of Barker, this book serves as a classic example of the breathless, speculative, and entertaining style of writing that gripped readers who are interested in the unusual in the 1960s. This book helped popularize the ideas of men in black and a program of silence with regard to UFOs. Number 19, The Vermont Monster Guide by Joseph Citro and Stephen Bissett. I'm a huge fan of local crypto books, the more specific the better, and the fact that we acquired this book from Stephen Bissett himself while at the International Cryptozoology Conference makes it all the more special. But it is fantastic on its own merits. Citro's prose is a delight, and Bissett's artwork is breathtakingly vital. Number 20, A Treasury of American Folklore, edited by B.A. Botkin. As the crypto community continues to realize and explore the value of folklore, it is increasingly important to develop a working knowledge of it. Resources like this both collect the stories themselves and explain how professional folklorists categorize and talk about them. Number 21, Mrs. Wakeman versus the Antichrist and other strange but true tales from American history by Robert Damon Schneck. Schneck is a brilliant writer, which makes his choice of subject matter all the more enjoyable. Readers of this list will likely be most interested in the chapter Bigfoot's Gold, which offers some astonishing background to the Ape Canyon incident of the 1920s. that does it for another monster study group. The semester is sure going fast. As always, you can find Monster Study Group on Instagram. And if you like what you hear, a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify would mean a lot. Hope to see you at MonsterFest. And until then, keep up your studies. Thanks for listening.